I'm Dr. Ben Dale, and I have a fear of retirement. Beauty is subjective. We all define for ourselves what is beautiful. It could be an art piece, or a scenic view, or a person. But everybody loves beauty. It brings us joy. The human experience can only be set in a joyful place in so many ways. Whether it's an internally derived joy from personal spiritual strength, or an externally created joy from making connections with people, places, or things we deem beautiful. I felt joy mostly as it relates to my family. Experiencing life's journey with my wife Michelle or cherished moments with our children. I know what true, true joy is. I also recognize joy for what it's not. Accolades, honors, awards, achievement. Don't get me wrong, they're great. But the feeling that comes from them is temporary, like a drug. Just look at the many quote-unquote successful people who are miserable. So for me, true joy comes from family. I think beauty in a person comes from someone who is true to themselves. They know who they are and they're happy with it. I've known far too many people who are sad and angry and normally it's because they're disappointed with how they turned out in life. It's really sad. And that disappointment generally comes from the ridiculous act of comparing yourself to others. If you really want to be happy in life, know who you are and be true to that. Be true to it. It's this quality that draws me to Jeff Rohr. To the world, Jeff Rohr is a walking mess of contradictions. The world sees a former, a former football player who's in a same-sex marriage, yet he rages against liberal politics and causes. In a matter of a few sentences with Jeff, he'll trash any number of foundational liberal issues, then offer to beat the crap out of any right-wing homophobes who may happen to wander near. The bottom line is, you can't categorize Jeff Rohr. He feels and enjoys a freedom to speak his mind on a broad range of social and political topics, careening erratically from one end of the political spectrum to the other. But he doesn't care. The fact that he's all over the place is our problem, not Jeff's. And besides, he doesn't see it as erratical philosophical views. He sees it as a freedom of knowing who he is and where he stands. That versatility of thought and action is interesting to me. I seek to emulate it. I don't have the, as much courage as Jeff does. He's much more courageous about being stand-up guy about who he is, regardless of the topic. I, I, I tend to uh, lose a little bit of that courage and be more cautious. And I... And I'm angry at myself when I'm that way. I wish I was as bold as Jeff. But those qualities, that versatility of thought and action, is the primary reason I wanted to sit down with Jeff. In preparing to meet with him, 
I watched and listened to numerous interviews he's done over the past couple years. Admittedly, some of the ones I listened to were the ones he sent me. Hey, listen to this. I was on this show or watch this. He's been on numerous podcasts and, and he's been on uh, many TV shows like Guffeld. I'm always interested to hear what Jeff has to say, mainly because it's always brilliant and also because you never know what might come out of his mouth. I noticed, though, that since being the first NFL player to enter into a same-sex marriage, that that's all anyone wants to talk about. So my first goal was not to get into it. It's already been covered. If you want to know the story, there's any number of people who have interviewed him about it. Also, I knew Jeff before his marriage to Josh, so I know that there's so much more to talk about than his sexuality. I mean, there's an immense universe to Jeff Rohr outside of his sexuality. It doesn't define him. He has not assumed the role of standard bearer for the gay community. So unless he brought it up, I wanted to talk about other things. Jeff was a Dallas Cowboy. And yes, I'm a huge Cowboy fan. He knows personally one of my two all-time heroes, Roger Staubach. So of course, I tend to get all fanboy about his time on the team. Jeff's two kids, Don Dillon and Izzy, went to my school. But I met Jeff through his mom, Dr. Bev Rohr, who is a South Bay and Miracosta legend. When we uh, started the Miracosta Hall of Fame, I was excited to induct both Bev and Jeff in the first and second classes, respectively. Jeff also lives around the corner from me in Manhattan Beach. So for all those reasons, I knew Jeff pretty well. Then one night, I'm on the elliptical at the gym. I turn on my phone and quickly go to scroll away from the news headlines page when my eye catches the ESPN headline containing the name Jeff Rohr. I click on it and read how Jeff has just married same-sex partner Joshua Ross. I had no idea. I knew Jeff's ex-wife. They had a very amiable and cordial relationship. They lived in separate houses on the same property. My first reaction was to make sure he was okay, that Jeff was okay. Media attention can be brutal. I quickly texted him that I'd just seen the article, I hoped he was doing well, that I hoped he would call or stop by the house if he ever needed anything, and mostly I wanted to make sure Don Dillon and Izzy were okay particularly Don Dillon, who was on the baseball team. Our players were all great kids, but every group has a knucklehead. If you're in a group thinking there's no knucklehead here, well, I'm sorry to tell you, but it's you. Anyway, Jeff texted back immediately his thanks and reported that students and teammates at Costa had rallied around his two kids and they were being uber supportive. I was so happy to hear that. I'm proud to say that my friendship with Jeff grew even more after his marriage to Josh. When I contacted Jeff about being interviewed, he was quick to agree to meet with me. He knew the topic of the interview, but he didn't ask anything else. Jeff is willing to talk about anything, anytime, anywhere. He doesn't care what the questions are. He, he just knew that, that we were friends and I was doing this project and he wanted to be a part of it. He's just a good man in that way. All he asked was that I would agree to an evening interview time so he could cook his dinner and I could break bread with his family. 
The interview you're about to hear was the most editing pieced together job I had to do because of all the starts and stops around him checking on the food. I had an amazing time visiting with Jeff and catching up with Izzy and hearing Don Dillon play his guitar. That's all off of, of the recording, but it was just a wonderful night in Jeff and Josh's home, and I'm grateful for their hospitality. I had an amazing time visiting with Jeff. So let's pick it up where Jeff is talking about the end of his time with the Cowboys before launching into the next phase of his life. How long before it was over did you know it was over? Did, was it like on a Monday you're like, I, 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 I'm looking at an all-pro season, and then on Tuesday you were out? No, yeah, basically. I came into camp in really good shape, and I don't know what happened, but my, my back's always been bad, but it shot out, and my spine hit the nerve, and then the nerve went down, and kind of my right foot is still kind of dead. And, you know, it's, I, I went in and had a, my back looked at about two months ago, and there's two discs that don't exist. So my, it's a continuing story. I mean, I'm going to have to get metal put in there probably this year. But instead of that, I had my hip done. Um, <laughs> tell you one, one, one joint at a time. So my back's next. Uh, we'll get that done. So that was, I mean, it was interesting coming out of the NFL going, what in the hell are you going to do? So, I mean, for me, I wanted to get in the film business. So I literally, I mean, I was retired from the NFL and we weren't making any money back then. So I had to go to work. Mm-hmm. You know, there was the money back then was like, there was guys working two jobs as pro football players. As soon as it's over, they were selling cars or whatever. I mean, it was not amazing money. It's not like it is now, so nobody should think that. Um, so I I wanted to somehow get involved in the film business. So I started driving trucks and picking up trash on sets. Uh, and produ- is called PA. Most people know that production assistant. And um, I got people who get yelled at a lot. Oh, just. <laughs> We do everything, yeah. you know. This back then, you know, they before they killed a couple of people from overworking him and putting him in trucks, driving him home on set, which really? they did. Yeah, they did. It took a while, but guys were, you know, we were sixteen hour days back to back for a long time. You know, there was really no, there weren't any rules back then, and you're not in the union. Everybody else that's on set is in the union, but the PAs aren't. So we're the first guys to show up set everything up, people come in, eat their breakfast, go to work, and then by the end, it's tear it all down, put it in the trucks and go home and the PAs. So anyway, it was fun. And um, I immediately got addicted and then got in that business and um, worked all the way up to producing, winning three Super Bowl, or three top 10 Super Bowls and winning can a bunch of times with my commercials. Um, and then recently jumped out of that so now I'm out of that. And before I got out of the commercial business, I was executive producer and running like three companies that were pretty big and doing very well. And it just, I got burned out. Hmm. And I couldn't, I could not see myself on a set ever again in my life. I can't, I don't want to be around that business anymore. I've, I've done so many jobs and met so many great people and, and and now the business has just kind of turned on its head and everybody hates it and I, I yeah so well so <clears throat> uh, former NFL player Yale graduate and suddenly you're 
driving a truck, working 16-hour days, and being a PA. When you were doing that, because that's, that's a huge line of demarcation, right? When you were doing that, and you're driving that truck on 16-hour days, did you know that it was a stepping stone, and, and you had to do this work, and you were committed, or were you driving the truck going, this is bull crap? You know what's interesting, because... Um, you know, like one of my first days on set, I just got addicted to it. And you start looking at all the different places you could go in that business. Do I want to be a cameraman? Do I want to be an assistant director? Do I want to be a grip, a gaffer? Do I want to get in the art department? What do I want to do? And it was interesting because a lot of the other PAs that I was working with, there is no way that they were going to go into production, which is more the numbers and and logistics of setting up uh, setting up a film or a commercial. So it kind of just fell in really quick to moving up like within six months to a production coordinator, which is basically king of the production assistants. You basically run that right. little troop yeah. um, and get things set up and tear them down and get to the next day, the next place, or in the middle of the day if you got to switch locations. It's all like super military. Hmm. Um, and I and I just felt like I had a really, really good chance at A, either being an AD, which assistant director, which runs the set, or B, jumping into production. And I got grabbed by some producers going, just put that kid, that chair, and pretty soon, it wasn't like, within two years, I had all their jobs. Hmm. Like I was a producer and I was on the best stuff in the world. And I think, I mean, it, the numbers came quick, the set, it was great to be, I mean, I worked back, I worked probably 300 days a year for two years, but with the best commercial directors in the world. So I saw everything. And then becoming a producer soon after that, I was ready to go because of all the experience I had in, at Yale, you know, and just. Right. What'd you major in at Yale? In business. 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 So um, I learned the numbers quickly in the, in the commercial game and learned how to run a set. <clears throat> I loved working with directors. I loved working with DPs. I loved working with ad agencies and clients. I mean, it was just, because I'm a people person. Yeah, you are. And I just love people, so it was just like, okay, if I'm gonna be the producer, this is great, because I get to talk to all these people. Yeah, it was, it was bizarre, because honestly, I worked with Alfonso Cuaron, who won uh, an Oscar. I worked with um, Darren Aronofsky, who won an Oscar. I mean, I produced for them. Mm -hmm. They directed. I worked for uh, Michael Bay. Um, hmm. I worked for Michael Mann, who is an absolutely terrible human. But, oh no, the worst human yeah. being in show business, Michael Mann. That's They're, a bold statement. It, it's bold, but it's yeah. true. Well, Michael, no, I actually like Michael Bay. But Michael Mann, there's, there's a joke about him. Um, if you are in an elevator with uh -huh. Michael Bay, Michael Mann, and Michael Moore, uh-huh. And you have a gun with two bullets. Who do you shoot? Michael Mann twice. <laughs> he he was just a terrible, terrible human being. It was it was gross to be around him. He treated all his people in the office terribly, everybody on the set terribly, and there was no there's no reason to act like that. Except if you're a king and you want to be a weirdo. Yeah. You can act like that. But that was his Didn't you do Miami Vice? Yeah, okay. and I love that show. I was yeah. so excited to work with him. And then he just was, he just like, I don't know. There's, 
there's a million stories, but he was he he was the worst I ever worked for. And Michael, if you're listening, um, sorry, pal, you're just a terrible human being. <laughs> you know that was nicely said. Yeah, yeah just nice. hope you can improve before you go in the grave, <laughs> because right now your grades are like really bad. Around the world, I'm not the only one. The best news for me would be to know that Michael Mann listened to my podcast. Well, he might now if he's got like his research people go, Michael, we got some bad news. Somebody called you the worst. Jeff, Jeff's trashing you on some guy's podcast that nobody listens to. Well, the funny thing is, is I don't have to make money in that business anymore. So I can say whatever I want. Yeah. But all these poor guys that worked for him over the years and stuff and would be, you know, they'd be, be moaning to me about, oh my God, this guy's just so bad. Um, they could never say anything because they were he was signing their checks. Yeah, and so they were. It was like being a cowboy fan, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> I love the Rams all these years, and now. Oh, but anyway, God. he's an elderly fellow. Maybe he can make up to some of the people that he treated so poorly. I could care less because I only had to do a couple jobs with him. But yeah. and, and, so you come to the end of that time. Yeah, and you know it's our generation, right? You're like, okay, what what do I what do I do now? So yeah, the end of the commercial thing was it kind of happened a couple of years ago. I had a few bucks saved up. Um, I didn't know really what I wanted to do, um, and then a friend of mine, uh, Mouse McCoy, who I worked for at Bandito Brothers. Um, I was executive producer at Bandito Brothers, and we did a lot of amazing stuff. And uh, the most fun was the Hot Wheels stuff. We did. We did years and years of that, but it was, uh, we set three world records with it. We did a car jump over at the Indy 500 live. A Hot Wheel jump? Yeah. It was like, we made it look like a door and the car came down an orange track uh-huh. and set a world record. How far did it go? Uh, well, it was well over a football field. Really? Oh, yeah. That's it's, a long ways it's for still a Hot Wheel car. It's still the record. No, well, I mean, we made our own car look like a Hot Wheel car. Oh, I see. I see. No, but it was real. It was Hot Wheels for real. So it was a real, real. Thing. And then we did the double loop at the X game and um, a bunch of other stuff. But it was it was it was fun. But anyway, I didn't know what I was gonna do. And Mouse called me, and he said, "Hey, I got a couple things. Come up. You want to come up to Ventura and see me and chat?" And I did. And um, basically, that is what I'm doing now. So this will probably well, no, it will be. This will be my last job before I retire. And what do you want to do when you retire? When I retire, well, uh, I definitely, um, Josh, Josh, my husband, and I have been talking a lot about it and um, trying to figure out where our home base is going to be. I mean, I I can almost guarantee I won't be in California. I mean, I am not going to pay the taxes and I'm not going to live with the, with the, um, the current status here i mean they're you know gas is so expensive it's getting to be almost as expensive as hawaii and i saw six dollars today yeah six dollars on the gas pump for no reason yeah i mean just because the current people want us to pay six dollars not because it costs six dollars it could be three yes it's just like our government right now wants us to pay six dollars um so we're paying six dollars and then everything else has gone through the um but um, I think, you know, I'm honestly looking at Nevada, New Mexico, maybe Hawaii. Um, 
but somewhere where the, um, the, the, the taxes are not oppressive. Because, you know, when you take 10 or 15 or 20% of your fixed income and hand it off to the state, mm-hmm. I would rather take that 10 or 20 or 30% of money and go travel or golf or buy things for my kids or give money to my church, whatever. But why am I giving it to the government when I can live in another state um, that doesn't absolutely rob you know, the people that live in it and, um, and give, it, give, it, give it to some other people or give it to myself or whatever, but I'm, yeah, I'm just not. You worked for it. I worked for it, so why do I want to give it to these guys? So I'm out of here. So your first consideration is where? Yeah. See, that's interesting. Yeah, for me, where? Because I need a home base. Yeah. And then um, I, I love, I, I really, we love to travel. So. So travel's going to be a big part of travel's it. Travel's a big part of it, yeah. Travel's a big part of What's it. What's on your list? Um, kind of everything. I mean, it, it depends. There's, um, I'm not a glamper. I'm not a camper. So it's going to be nice places. You like a good concierge. I like a good concierge. Mm -hmm. I like good meals, like fine wine. Um, and hopefully I can afford all that. But I, and you know, I'm, I'm happy roughing it too, but just not, I'm not like, I'm not going to, I can't say I'm going to go get in a Winnebago. And go camping. That changes. Yeah. Because I never thought I was a. Uh, the what, what are the sh- the silver shell looking yeah. ones? The uh, oh the airstream. Airstreams. I never thought I'd be a guy like that. But looking at that airstream, get you a Ford F two fifty and an airstream, and you know, and the colonel keeps saying she wants to move back to the beach. And I say, give me a Ford F-250 and an Airstream and I'll give you all the beaches. You know, we'll just travel up and down to all the beaches. Yeah. Like, where is your space? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's, I, it's interesting because one of the, we, we do quite a bit of um, military work, but then with our same system, we design in 3D and VR. So we decided to come up with a civilian project. So we made a deal with two great American companies, one's U-Haul and the other is Roush in Detroit, because we wanted to support the sustainability movement as much as you can with mobility. So we go, well, we're gonna take timed out trucks from U-Haul, which have a tremendous safety record and they're, you know, they, they take good care of them and all the franchisees. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, they, when they're timed out on their engines, take those, upfit them, upcycle them, into brand new vehicles for camping people. So like for surfers, snowboarders, mountain bikers, motocross guys, or the moto guys, or whatever you want to call them. So we have started a company that is going to give people that are retiring an option for an upcycled vehicle vehicle that's like significantly less than anything else on the market. Hmm. And the instead of hauling pianos in the back of the U-Haul will be like a little mini home with really? a c- couple beds and shower and bathroom. Do us 6-6 six, six guys a favor, would you? Yeah. With those beds? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Please? Yeah. I think you and me are going to be... That's why you and me will be in the hotel with other people. In the yeah. <laughs> yeah every, every time I look, some trailer or mobile home thing. Oh, no way. I, I can't sleep on that. No way. 
No I'm 6'6", six, six and you're 6'4"? Yeah, plus most of the stuff people may, are making now, are they're, they're kind of cool, but... I mean, I'm, I'm just not into, like, the interior that looks like um, a Marie Callender's. You know, it's just like, what am I... Uh, am I really going to spend a quarter of a million dollars on something that looks like Marie Callender's? I mean, can't yeah. anybody do better? You know, it's got all that paisley, that weird printed stuff and the flowers on the walls and then the side of them have, like... Big giant stripes that look like something out of a, you know, the first Star Wars movie. And a, or you, you might know. cook meth in it or something. Yeah, I don't know what they do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, so, so you're, you want to travel. Yeah. And you, and you've got good hobbies. You paint. I paint. And you'll, I'm sure, continue to do yeah, that. Yeah, that's actually interesting for everybody out there. I taught myself how to paint. Not that long ago. I'd never painted before. And uh, here's how you do it. You go to the store. You buy a canvas. You get a little projector to project what you want to paint. And you sketch it out in pencil. Mm -hmm. And then you get paint. And you paint it. it. And you will learn so fast. It's really not that hard. And it's really fun. Um, you can do your own sketches like Picasso or somebody else. Or you can just like actually kind of it's kind of like painting by numbers if you actually take a pencil and you don't get too psycho with your you know with your little color differences and then fill it in um you'll be surprised at how well you do folks and paintings are really fun and they're great gifts <laughs> <laughs> yes because you seem so thoughtful yeah that you, you, you it's like you painted me thank you oh, it doesn't look like me but no i mean <laughs> You know, and you're not going to get them all right, right off the bat. So start with florals um, and then go to fruit. Yeah, to fruit. And then you I think can, I'd start with fruit. Yeah. I went, I went from florals to portraits. And the florals were great because it just like you're free and you can kind of like, okay, that looks like a flower or whatever. But then um, it got me used to putting a paintbrush in my hand and mixing the paints and all that. And then... God, and then I jumped into portraits, which I just love right now because it's like super hard. Um, but I think I'm going to jump back into, I'm going to get like some big 10 by 10 like gallery kind of things and do some, I got some ideas on cars. I'm going to paint some cars right now. Oh, wow. But it's weird. It's like, and I, and then, you know, the other thing I do a lot is I, I write music that no one's ever heard. No kidding. Oh, tons. In my garage, I just like write, write, write. And sing songs to myself and I, I forbid any for anybody from my family to come back and listen to me really oh yeah it's just fun i just what, like what genre are you writing in i don't know i would say i'm kind of a jim morrison neil young hybrid kind of like definitely 70s kind of at least a little bit more ballad more storytelling but it's and what what do you write on do you write on guitar or piano or I write on piano. No, I don't know how to play piano. I write on guitar, and um, it's kind of weird when a good one comes out. There, it's fun. Yeah, I. That's another thing, honestly. Yeah. You just brought me to this. Mm -hmm. When I retire, I have this one fantasy, and that fantasy is to make a record. Okay. So I've been sniffing around, and um, I think I'm gonna make that record in Budapest because because the dollar's strong. And I'll, I want to go over there and find like a, you know, just like some kooky guys that know how to play the hurly gurly. Yeah, the, I've I, never heard anybody say, "I'm gonna go make a record in X location," 
Because the dollar's strong. Yeah. Well, no, because I want to do it right. You know, I don't. I'm not gonna have. I don't want to. I'm not gonna have zillions of dollars. So I just go. You know what? I'm gonna figure this out. But my target's kind of Budapest, okay. and um, I kind of, I kind of think like kind of a funky Hungarian beat might be kind of interesting to explore. I don't even. I don't know what a Hungarian beat is. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> so, so take this song that's Jim Morrison and Neil Young, yeah. and put it to a Hungarian beat. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, I'm, a lot of my... Do you have I, an album title? Yeah, it's called uh, Death and Other Inconveniences. <laughs> that is so Jim Morrison. Yeah, Death and Other Inconveniences. Because I've, I've got like, I've probably written 50, maybe more songs. No kidding. But there's a good portion of them that are very interesting about life and death and love and sadness and things like that. That would fit into one album really good. Uh-huh. Yeah, I bought one of those guitars made of metal. I don't know what they're called. I went over a to steel the, guitar. No, steel guitars are those ones that go rear. The rear, pedal rear. steel, yeah. Yeah, but the, it's like a metal guitar, and it sounds so good. Um, Is it like a Mark Knopfler looking guitar? That yes, he always plays. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's it. All right, so we've got. We've got your location, we've got travel, we've got painting. You, you, you want to record an album in Budapest because yeah. the dollar's strong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those, are, those are a couple of things. And then... And um, you cook? Oh, I love to cook. I cook. I mean, that's just natural. I cook all the time. Um, and it's fun to have people to cook for. And, I, and I'm going to get, when I retire, I'm going to get good at golf. Like, I've always been good at golf, but I'm going to get good at golf. I want to join a club, have fun. I don't know how many more years until I retire, but I'm about ready to buy myself a nice new pair of clubs and get ready and start doing that. And then one other thing I've always wanted to do is uh, learn to fly. So, hmm. I mean, there's all these things that, you know, that are just hanging out there, but you know, I just I honestly like, there's so many people, there's so many ways that you can get things done, regardless of the money that you have or the money that you don't to chip away at some other goals. So like I, like I want to learn to fly, and I looked it up there, and it's not that expensive. And you know, like you could learn a lot of it on the computer before, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I just think, you know, in this age of the computer, which I rip on a lot, but you know, there are ways to learn a lot. You know, you could teach yourself a lot. You could open a little bakery. You could do whatever you want because of the internet. My son taught himself how to play like lead guitar music. Now he's rips on it on the internet. But like if somebody wanted to start a little bakery or start a little this or start a little that, you know, it's all doable now because all the information's out there. Yeah. The sage is, sage is out there. And it's just right there. It's right in front of everybody's face. So there's so many things that what, you, you could do. What about your day? How do you see your days going when you retire? How do you, like, what's the day? Because learning how to fly is yeah. a project and... Recording an album is a project. How do you see your days going? Well, it's a good question. I'm a consumer of information, so that I, I, I have to like consume a decent amount of news and a decent amount. Of, I read all the time. I mean, I, I definitely think that reading 50 pages or 40 pages of a book every day mm-hmm. will be something I'll work in there. For sure, every day um, we'll be hitting the gym or swimming. Which you're doing now, and you're looking good, brother. Yeah, you're for well, crazy. yeah. I mean, I think one of my. That's why I, could, I think if Jerry calls you up. Yeah, well, you told not, me earlier tonight when we were off mic, he said, "I'm ready to hit somebody." I am. 
I, uh, no, it's just like, I think it's cool to be in Manhattan Beach. Mm-hmm. And my kid's a senior, okay, and I'm 63. And I'm gay. And I can still definitely beat up 90% of the dads in this town. So these guys, these, these guys in this town that want to give me shit about being gay or something, I will slap you silly. I will knock you out. All you macho boys out there. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's so fun to be like... And, and, and as, a, as a pro football player, you have taunting down too. Oh, yeah. Ta- no, after I, after I slap them silly, I'll, I'll, I'll do like a, a Icky Woods dance over them in front of their... I was envisioning more of a Gastineau. Oh, Gastineau's, yeah. He died, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was, I was envisioning more of a Gastineau. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know those dances, but we'll we'll, we'll make one up. <laughs> I think I think after you slap, somebody, it'll be like the Gady whipped your ass dance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that's. But I think I think working strong. out is like anybody retiring. If you don't work, and I I don't call it working out. Honestly, I mean I shouldn't say that. I I go to the gym to exercise. Yeah. I go to the gym to exercise. Like today, I uh, I biked for. Three miles, which is nothing. Watch a little TV, bike for three miles. And then I went into the gym and I lifted, which is a little bit more significant, but I, I use um, I use low weight and high reps. So it's not I'm not trying to hurt myself. I did that for many years in the gym because yeah. that's how you get bigger. Is you tear your muscles and you rebuild them. Um, and then I went in the pool and swam 20 laps. And then I took a steam. But all of this was at a pace where I was enjoying the day. And then in the meantime, got a little sun. So everybody that is thinking about retiring, you should, without question, if you want to live longer um, and be around for your kids, is to exercise in the gym. Don't go to the gym to work out. Go to the gym to exercise. Pick out things you like to do and do it. And, you know, like there's no pickleball is a big deal. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Just as long as you do something that gets you out of the house. And I, I really don't think that like like tennis qualifies. Golf doesn't. Golf is like, you. that's not like you're getting exercise. But that's not like you need to get in the gym or in the pool or go for walks and eat up part of your day making yourself viable for the future. That's great. That's a pretty good daily routine. Do yeah. some reading, do some working out, and then go some information. And then... Then do there's there's a million other things you can do. I, I'm not I'm not worried about it. Go see your friends. Go go to a football game. Go to a reunion. Do whatever you want. Plan plan things ahead so you have things to look forward to. You know. And I get, love it. I love it that you said you're not worried about it because because you you have a you have a chill vibe just in general. So it fits. You're kind of on brand with that comment. Yeah. You know because you 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 do have a very chill like level-headed approach to things and so it's natural that you'd have a level-headed approach to this which i envy because i don't i'm a nut i have anxiety if i sit on my couch at home during the day you're the same i'm the same guy are you the same way with that i can't do it no i feel guilty yeah like i'm not doing something yeah no like what am i doing i'm not like i don't really allow myself i mean it's kind of a curse too because you you don't allow yourself to relax now and then. How much sleep do you get? Not enough. My mind is definitely a curse. Um, I have to take real sleeping pills every night to go to sleep. Really? Because my mind just goes psycho. I was going to ask you how you shut your brain off. 
It, it doesn't. It, 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 I, I, it, it doesn't. I mean, I have to medicate myself to put my mind, mind down. And if I don't, then I don't sleep and then I'm miserable and I'm worthless the next day. Have you tried meditation? No, but I'm thinking about, I think that might be another great thing to do. That's part of working out, I think, too, is getting yourself tired so you go to sleep. You know, like, lately I'm... Like a German shepherd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I've been spending 12 hours a day at my computer working. And, you know, you go to bed and your mind's still working. Your body's not tired. So there's, I mean, I think there's definitely something into trying to beat your body up a little bit to get into um, a sleep. I some kind of sleep situation. I This is kind of weird, but I might as well say it because we're on retirement. And it's just me and you talking. Yeah. And, <laughs> but it's, it's fine. But, I mean, for the last 15 years, yeah. I've been eating four or five Tylenol PM a night. Wow. Every night. And no knock, to, no knock to my friends that may listen to this that I know, but I look better than all of them. And I have a feeling that a lot of people don't get good sleep and my problem was I had to force myself to sleep because I had to be up at four or five in the morning to go to set or to go wherever and there's no I can, you can't oh I'm not going to be there today that does not happen in the film business yeah you have to be there and when the, you shoot from the sun up till the sun down and when you know if you're not on the stage if you're outdoors you've got a schedule and it is military yeah. And then when the sun is down, you are going, the the most valuable thing when you're on a long job is, is sleep. So I had to manage it. So um, so years and years I took Tylenol PM and, and so many people I know that are my age just don't look that good. And I think that they have like kind of, int you know, people worry too much or they don't sleep enough or, you know, they party too hard or whatever. But there's, there is... There is an extremely valued value uh, argument for sleep. I think sleep is the most important thing that that people can work into their system. And, yeah, I, and my time at Coastal. Yeah, I was getting like four hours a night. Yeah, that's not enough. <clears throat> you know, and and I think part of the restorative nature of post life after Miracosta has been all the sleep I've been getting. Yeah. You know, and I couldn't sleep for a myriad of reasons. Couldn't shut my brain off. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't, <clears throat> I was replaying every conversation I had that day to, so that I could be better in that conversation yep. than I was in the actual conversation. Yeah. You know, and worried about the next day. And, and I think and that's going to be similar for a lot of people that are retiring too, because like, I mean, I, my, my whole deal is I run scenarios. Yeah. As a producer. Okay, what if, uh, you know, and, and it's like ridiculous. And then I'll get in political arguments with myself in the middle of the night <laughs> that I will never have with one other human on the planet. Yes. And I'll be like arguing against like some politician you see on TV. And it's like, dude, you are wasting like 45 minutes here. Just like you need to go to sleep. Yes. So I just got to shut my mind off. Oh, I, I, I so want you to record those political conversations oh, you have with God. yourself. Those, now that would be must-see if you could plug into some of my dreams, oh my God, they're amazing. Yeah. They've been all architectural dreams lately. I'm seeing some amazing things out there. You're a good man, Jeff. You too. So, so to end up tonight, you got two choices. Okay. You've got Hatch Green Chili Hot Sauce. Yeah. And you've got uh, Prickly Pear Cactus Jelly. So 
Where are you at? You know what? I'm gonna go. Every now and then, I like to have lamb. Uh huh. You know, you heard that joke? Yes. Ma'am, can I have the lamb? I know this. Uh, I'm gonna go with a prickly pear jelly and try it on some lamb chops. Okay. Prickly pear jelly, it is, my friend. All right. Well, straight, straight from New Mexico. Yeah. Everybody, Pindale's good man, and uh, I have a feeling this may be valuable to listen to you because you'll get a lot of different. Uh, you get a lot of different points of view. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. He's got his... And you made peach cobbler, so let's get off I did make uh, peach cobbler. I made homemade um, emeralds uh, pasta sauce with homemade meatballs. And let's see what else. Garlic bread and roasted vegetables. This would be good. So we're, we're, we're about to crush this. Yeah. And then and we got to go to bed. And then we got to get up in the morning. We got to work out. And we got to read our book, right? Okay. 40 to 50 words. That's you it. inspired me. F 50 pages. Oh, <laughs> those would be haikus. Dang it! I was trying to, I was yeah. trying to shift it up there, make it easy yeah. on myself. Well, thanks, Jeff. All right, brother. So, I'm Dr. Bandale, and I have a fear of retirement.